0: This podcast is sponsored by the Davenant Institute and Davenant Hall, reimagining theological education. Visit davenanthall.com. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. Davenant Hall takes full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online courses. Students can simply audit a single class or enroll in a degree program, including subject-specific certificates, Ph.D. supervision, and the flagship MLIT program, which includes pastoral tracks for Baptist, Anglican, and Reformed or Presbyterian ministry. Enroll in classes at any time during the academic year. Knowing that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation, Davenant hosts regular residentials at their study center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of South Carolina. Registration for Spring Term 2024 classes running April to June is now open. Register by March 27th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class, with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Spring Term classes include Male and Female in Modernity with Alistair Roberts, The Reformation and the Modern World, with Michael Lynch, Philosophy as a Way of Life with Joseph Minnick, and more. Visit DavenantHall.com to find out more. That's DavenantHall.com. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Reformation Art of Catherine Marchand. Start your collection today at MarshandArt.com. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation.
1: Well, welcome to Modification of Spin. I'm one of the regular hosts, Carl Truman, professor at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania, here with my friend and regular host, Todd Pruitt. Let me see if I, four, fourth time in a row, can I introduce you, you, give, it, you give Todd? You give it a shot. Todd is the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and it's a congregation in the so-called Presbyterian <laughs> church in America. Mm-hmm. Is that, you, you got it I, right. I got it you now know throw. the church I I'm pastor. A, after all these years, I'm finally I'm, word
2: perfect. I am really excited for you.
1: And we have an old friend uh, on the program today, one of those, uh, whether it's uh, the triumph of hope over experience or merely a sign of tremendous lack of judgment. <laughs> uh, we have our old good friend, Joel Kim, on the program. Joel is, I was going to say, the newly minted president of Westminster, California, But actually, he's been around for a few years now. Joel has been.
3: Old hat now, three years now, if you can believe it.
1: Three years. That's that is three years longer than I would ever want to be president (laughs) to any (laughs) seminary anywhere, brother. So you've done remarkably well. You're still there after three years. Joel, it's a great pleasure to have you on the program.
3: Well, thanks for having me.
1: Yeah. And as I said to you beforehand, I'm not outside Ann Taylor Loft as I usually am when I communicate with you. My wife is behaving herself today and obediently outside. Oh, my here in goodness. I <laughs> one
3: it's, of these days your listeners do ask you about Ann Taylor Loft. Your expertise <laughs> is overwhelming.
1: So. I'm an expert. I'm, I'm, I'm determined to visit an Ann Taylor Loft in every single one of the 50 states, including Hawaii. Just waiting for my invitation from Matt Uzi to go out yeah. and do that. Great to have you on, Joel. We want you on in particular to talk about the peculiar challenges that are facing seminaries at this particular juncture. I mean, for many years now, seminary education and the seminary world has been a tough world to be in. We know we don't live in a in a culture where the ministry is highly thought of. We know that uh, training for the ministry is it's a tough call because quite often when you train for the ministry, actually you end up being less employable generally than you were <laughs> before. So being in assembly, being involved in the assembly world has been tough for a long time. But, but the COVID crisis, of course, has brought a lot of distinctive challenges, uh, both educational and financial to the seminary world. So we wanted to get some thoughts on you relative to seminary education in general in a time of COVID and, and post-COVID, and also to hear what what distinctive policies and practices Westminster, California is putting into place as you move into the, the next academic year. So welcome to the show, Joel. Uh, and uh, tell us what you think the primary challenges facing seminaries in general and Westminster, California in particular are at the moment relative to the the COVID crisis that we're in the midst of?
3: Well, brother, there are so many things uh, that we can say. It's been kind of intriguing as you check out things online. um, there, There are many analysis as well as discussions taking place. And certainly there are institutions that are far bigger than we are and uh, more historic in terms of their age um, that have their unique challenges that they're working on. Perhaps the best way I can kind of summarize for the listeners and for all of us, the challenges that seminaries are facing is by discussing our own particular institution that's taking uh, at Westminster Seminary, California. Um, March is probably a good time for us to look back upon. I, I, I find myself really thankful to the lord that we are here because at that time as we were looking forward to where things were heading things were changing so quickly every day we were getting new orders and regulations uh placed upon us and as a result the institution had to pivot so many different times and there were short pivots that we had to do right away that had to do with things like safety of our students student welfare and their safety now as many of you know we have this 64 unit apartment complex on campus. So we have over 200 students and family members living on campus and their welfare and safety was of utmost importance to us, even as the orders were coming down. And then you had to transition, um, transition educationally in terms of trying to figure out a way to deliver quality education in the midst of so many challenges. And we actually took a week off, as many seminaries did, in order to prepare ourselves for that transition. And all of us went into a a synchronous education mode in terms of teaching students online. Our students uh, have been very generous and kind, and, and they're incredibly adaptable to the changing environment. So we're grateful for that. And our faculty worked hard to meet the needs of our students as well. And then, of course, you're trying to maintain community. In the midst of these challenges, uh, chapel talks continued, though virtual. You had virtual commencement, which we did a few weeks back. At the same time, continuing to meet the students in terms of our prayer groups that meet every Wednesday. Faculty engaging with the students so that there is some sense of normalcy in the midst of all these changes or things that we were praying for and engaged in. And then finally, just supporting them by financial Uh, fundraising and leading in a time of crisis. These are all kind of short-term pivots that we had to undergo in order to meet the challenges that were before us. And one thing we've learned is that scarcity, as one person said, leads to clarity, priority, and creativity. Um, I love that phrase, actually. Scarcity leads to clarity, priority, and creativity. And we found ourselves recognizing these major areas as areas that we needed to strengthen and, and grow. Um, These are truly the things that we're thinking about. What is the education model? How do we best prepare students for churches and the future of ministry? How do we create community among seminarians so that the learning takes place, not just in the classroom, but outside the classroom as well? How do we Uh, provide a safe environment, a growing and learning spiritual environment for our students? And how do we sustain our uh, institution in the midst of all this? These are the questions that I think many of us, having come out of that immediate pivot, are thinking and praying about as we look forward to the future. Um, Perhaps I'm going on too long here, but as we look forward to the future, there are certainly challenges for all seminaries, our seminary included, Student enrollment is going to be a challenge coming up. Um, Already, higher ed was facing challenges regarding enrollment, especially as you see the decline in the number of people going into ministry. And even larger, there is a decline in the number of kids going into graduate schools, Uh, for that matter, undergrad as well. Many people have looked upon 2025 as a, a crisis point because, birth rates being what they are, the number of students going into college during that year will drop considerably Hmm. throughout the nation. And those were things that we were already facing uh, even before this crisis actually took place. And when you add to it, international enrollment, that's going to decline because of the current situation. Um, Students are having a hard time getting student visas to get here even those who want to and so we expect this fall and uh, perhaps longer uh, we're going to have some difficulties with enrollment and then of course there will be ongoing question about how do we deliver this education in the midst of uh, the changing and challenging times the balance between educational philosophy and the regulations and orders that are in place when things are changing so quickly. And so those are things that every administrator is thinking about and perhaps even dreaming about at this stage as they prepare for the fall. And then of course the financial disruption has been pretty great. Not just in terms of individual institutions, but our donors as well. That's
1: good. In terms of Westminster, California, new state regulations have come down compelling you to start the academic year online. Though we know you'd much prefer to hold in-person classes what do you think about the strengths of the online approach? And what will you miss about in-person instruction?
3: You know, it's kind of intriguing. Um, As many listeners uh, know, Westminster Seminary, California um, is a fully committed residential school. Uh, That's part of the reason why such a big push uh, was made to create a campus, which is about 20 acres with Apartment complexes, and, and and we find ourselves incredibly grateful for that because these are not dorms; these are one-bedroom, two-bedroom, three-bedroom apartments where families can live. And so, even in a lockdown situation, uh, they were able to be locked down in their respective apartments. And so, that was a big thing for us, for which we give thanks. And even as we made transitions online, and Everybody worked really hard. I I, I can't imagine there being any campus, uh, any seminary out there being able to do this easily. Um, There are different levels of preparation, but I'm sure both the faculty and students, as well as the staff, worked really hard on on any campus. But as you begin, when the novelty started wearing off, I kind of compare it to the worship that many of us have been engaged in for the last few months. The first few weeks, you find yourself just simply grateful that there's streaming worship taking place from your church. Our church did the same. And you're able to sit. Um, you know, they usually have uh, in the morning an 8 o'clock service and an 11 o'clock service. We were streaming in at 10 o'clock for our family. And interestingly enough, even at that modified hour, we sometimes find ourselves being late. So I'm not sure what that's all about. But um, the, the first few weeks, just grateful for the encouragement that we were able to receive with that worship, but over time the novelty wore off and you kind of start longing for that interaction. And I think the same was true for us, for our students and for our faculty as well. On the faculty side, um, even as I taught this spring semester as well, though grateful that you're able to see and hear voices of the students, any kind of teaching that does not have students right before you, it changes the energy of your teaching. It also makes it difficult as a faculty member to really understand whether you're getting the information across as much as you would like. The interaction becomes much more muted and shortened. And that's true not only in terms of teaching, but also in terms of any kind of meetings that you have as well. From the student side, I think the the change is even more dramatic. Um, Part of the reason why we are so committed to residential education is that we believe that training pastors is not simply about downloading information. It's not about theological loci and simply memorizing names and dates and ideas, but it's about faculty members who not only teach them Uh, the content of their uh, theology and scripture, and how to go about preparing for ministry, but also them modeling for the students what that looks like. It's like when we sit and pray together, uh, the faculty member is teaching them how to pray and how we ought to uh, think through the issues of life as we discuss these things. Mm -hmm. Even in the teaching process, it's not just about the information shared, but the passion and tears with which the faculty members teach that make an impression upon the students in terms of priorities and the things that they ought to be committed to. So seminary education, I I can't imagine anyone disagreeing with this, to be honest. If one were to be asked, what's the best way to prepare future pastors? I think most people would agree that it's not just about the right degree and the right kinds of classes, but that they look after models and mentors Mm -hmm. whom they desire to emulate. And seminary, not a perfect model by any means, I would imagine, but certainly time-tested model of preparing future pastors. And we are committed to that notion of not only teaching content, but modeling life. And we wanna be able to do that well and online education as good as it can be. Uh, and there's certainly benefits preserving, I think quality education and teaching, propagating them in places perhaps you would not reach otherwise. But on a strict level of preparing pastors and leaders for the churches, I think this crisis has only strengthened our conviction as long as the Lord allows us that we need to be committed to a residential model.
2: And in this way, there's so much of a parallel in some of the discussions we've had about Christian worship, about preaching and, and, and fellowship, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the necessity of embodied presence. And, you know, what, what, you know, the things that you said about, about teaching and the classroom experience is the, is the same, you know, the same is true with preaching. Um, oh, uh, I it, agree. It, it was, it was so good to finally be back preaching in before the people, uh, that I serve rather than, uh, simply to a camera. I mean, I got, I got Mm -hmm. to the point where, where it began to feel more natural, but it was never the same. Um, because you know, when, when you're not looking into the eyes of the people that are before Mm -hmm. you and seeing their faces and, and thinking about their stories and the things that they, uh, go through, um, you know, any preacher knows that that is a part of the experience for lack of a better word. Those things figure in to the content of the sermon in ways that, that are real, perhaps hard to describe, but, but nevertheless, very, very real. And I, I think back to my seminary education, I, I just can't imagine getting as much as I needed to, um, in an online experience. Now, in some cases, like what we've gone through recently, you just don't have a choice. And, and I think people no. don't understand that, but yep. to get back to that experience of, 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 of an embodied presence, um, as quickly as possible, um, is important because again, it adds a dimension that helps towards the equipping of these men who are going to be pastors.
3: And, I, I, I remember my dad, who was a um, who was a ministry for nearly forty years before he retired a number of years ago, where he 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 said teaching and preaching experience. He said do so with pen in your hand, and I always wondered what that meant and what he was trying to uh, indicate to a young preacher was to simply say you learn when you prepare for the message or the teaching. And then the spirit moves in such a way that when you teach and preach, uh, you learn while you teach and preach for many teachers like us. And I, I, I don't think my experience is alone, whether when I'm preaching or teaching, even as you're communicating something that you've taught before yeah. or you thought deeply about already, there are insights as well as thought process, especially as you interact with the, your students as well as your congregation, right. that you gain an insight for. So if you're preaching twice, oftentimes as a preacher, we find ourselves correcting and adding. That's right. Uh, because we learn from that experience. Yes. And I think that's true of classroom experience, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. So,
1: Joel, uh, you're optimistic about the future, or or are you at this point concerned? I mean, clearly, you live in the People's Republic of California. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the governor kind of makes it up as he goes along, somewhat. But uh, are you optimistic about the future of of education for reform pastors? Clearly, there's a need, but are you going to be able to meet that need? I guess is the question.
3: Well. I am realistic, uh, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, certainly, I think all of us have to acknowledge that there are challenges. There are economic factors. There are regulations and policy uh, changes that are in many ways headwinds for institutions like ours, as well as the shrinking pool of potential students uh, as churches struggle and and denominations uh, struggle as well. These are all realities that we've come to recognize and live with. But without sounding like, you know, uh, this is just a way for me to sound holy, I'm actually really at a place of peace. The Lord's been very kind to us. I think these are moments where you see glimpses of Lord's presence and kindness to us as an institution, as we think about the future. Uh, We recognize that as an institution, that uh, our goal is to remain faithful and the Lord will keep us open as long as he desires us to be. So we want to be as focused as we can be in terms of training men and women who are experts in the word, exalting the name of Christ on high, who love the church. And as long as we can do that, and Lord uh, sees us doing that faithfully and keeps us here, we want to be able to do that well. So realistic, I guess, is the best way for me to say how I feel.
2: And that's probably uh, a, a good approach uh, for all of us in, in general, entrusting ourselves to uh, the providence of God, which is typically a mystery to us as we look ahead. Yeah. Um, but God is good and God is just and he is sovereign. And so it is in that that we uh, take comfort, whether we think about our family or our profession, um, our churches or our schools, we entrust ourselves to the good care of God and his unwavering, Kindness and wisdom through it all. Well, uh, Dr. Kim, thank you so much for joining us again. Our, our, our guest has been Joel Kim, the president of Westminster Seminary, California. If you get a chance, folks, please uh, swing by our website, mortificationofspin.org. And uh, we're going to be giving away a book by one of the faculty members of Westminster, California. Uh, his name is Craig troxel And uh, a new book from Craig is, is entitled With All Your Heart orienting your mind desires and will toward christ and uh, if you would like to win a copy of this new um, excellent book uh, then please go to our website mortificationofspin.org and enter to win a copy of this new book and while you're there uh, you can certainly feel free to make a contribution to the alliance of confessing evangelicals so that they can continue to uh, deliver to you uh, good content that will encourage your heart well, thank you so much for joining us, and we look forward to talking to you next time.
3: The only one who could ever reach me was the son of a preacher man. The only boy who could ever teach me was the son of a preacher man. You'd be glad to know I'm, I'm not on social media of any kind, which Good. makes me a complete bore. But yeah, outstanding.
1: I'm the same, and, and Todd is no longer on social media either.
3: Yeah, so
0: it's, off of that.
3: It's, it's how uh, all of us who are PCA work. Uh, we just decided yeah. it's time yeah. for us to move on. That's right. <laughs>
0: Celebrate the heroes of the Reformation with limited-edition prints by artist Catherine Marchand. These high-quality prints capture the unique personalities of Martin Luther, Charles Spurgeon, Wycliffe, Calvin, and others. Reproduced on artist top-grade rag paper, these prints will soon become a treasured part of your personal collection. Award-winning artist Catherine Marchand presents Reformation Art. Start your collection today. Purchase prints online at Catherine That's Catherine with a C, M A R C H A N D,
3: Catherine